You don't need to have 50 ingredients in a drink to have it be delicious. As I've learned that simplicity is the key and it's the techniques that you use to, to make those ingredients. It's not just orange juice. It's splitting the oranges and roasting them in the oven until they caramelize, letting them cool and then juice. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. I'm Brian Fields. As with me, as always, is Kellen Finney. And this week, we got a very special guest, Warren Bobro, best-selling author and master mixologist. Warren, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm, pr- I'm pretty fantastic, and I'm going to uh, enjoy a little bit of this Rudy's uh, Cool Whip from New Mexico. So I love it. For our audio listeners, they'll get a, a really good visual for that, for that aspect. Kellen, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Excited to talk to Warren. Really excited to talk about cannabis drinks. I know it's a, a really close topic to your heart, Brian. Uh, so I'm just really excited to talk to Warren and kind of dive into his story and, and Klaus and all of the, the fun stuff he's been doing in the industry. How are you, Brian? Yeah, I'm excited. Obviously, beverages are one of my favorite aspects of the industry, and I know that everyone has their particular feelings pretty strongly one way or another about them, which is everyone's own right. But I think Warren's perspective, kind of mixing the blend as a mixologist and the authors, is what kind of gives it a unique taste, because I think his combination of flavors is is definitely on a whole nother parallel than most of are at least anticipating when they'll hear this conversation. But Warren, before we get into all the fun specifics, We've got to get it on the record. A little East Coast, West Coast. I know you, you're you fond of California, but realistically, where would your loyalty lie, East Coast or West Coast? Oh, absolutely. In Menham, New Jersey, in my 1804 home, which is full of ghosts. And I just heard footsteps right across the floor. I called up there to see if there was anyone upstairs. And no, there's no one upstairs. So. <laughs> I don't know if in your past, if the ghosts have communicated back down, but that would probably make me put the pipe down if I started hearing ghosts personally. So, <laughs> Warren, for our listeners, unfriendly about you, can you give it all background about yourself, please? Uh, let's see. I am a, uh, I'm an eight-time failure. Uh, no, which is true. I've had many lives in my, uh, my short 62 years. Um, you know, I started smoking cannabis at age 12, and I knew very quickly that I was going to be a great disappointment to my family. So uh, they they let me go, and they let me find my own way. And it's, it was a circuitous route, but I discovered myself only about 11 years ago, which is pretty good. At uh, like 51 years old, I figured out what I wanted to be when I grew up, and uh, it's been a really hard path ever since. (laughs) So it was easier to work in the corporate world when I got a paycheck every week and uh, I didn't have to worry a whole lot about anything. And now every day is, is a concern. It's a growing concern, but I'm confident in my ability and uh, you know, the proof is in the pudding right there. But that wouldn't have taken, you know, I'm maybe getting ahead of myself, but that wouldn't have taken place if I hadn't written this in 2015 and it came out in 2016 and uh, no one had ever heard of a cannabis cocktail before that. Yeah. Why don't you give our listeners that are that are not watching us that are listening, give them the perspective of what you just showed and then you kind of dive into that. So we'll we'll start off with cannabis cocktails, mocktails and tonics. I've written six books. I don't know. I'm not I'm not running away, but uh, let's see. I. I first, my first book here was uh, Apothecary Cocktails, and my publisher, Fairwinds Press, Cordo Publishing up in Massachusetts, told me at that time that the only ingredient that I couldn't use in Apothecary Cocktails was cannabis. But when I started doing my historic reasoning 
for why you would write a book on on apothecary cocktails in the first place. I have a family background in snake oil. My grandfather created a product called Geritol. Geritol was meant for iron poor blood. No one had iron poor blood. It was a marketing thing. Really, all that it was was ethyl alcohol, caramel coloring, and flavorings. But everyone had it in their in their I'm not going to say in their icebox. Everyone had it in their medicine chest. And my own mother gave it to me when I was a boy in the 1960s before breakfast, a tablespoon or two of Geritol Junior, which was about 50% alcohol or about 100 proof. So it was a good way of starting the day. I worked in traditional liquor for uh, for many years after I lost my corporate world job and uh i loved it i absolutely loved it until it loved me too much and i haven't had a cocktail since 2018 i have uh worked as an international brand ambassador for a boutique spirits company that was centered over in sweden they showed me the world like you would see them in the military i made cocktails for people all over the world but it caught up with me and I was 75 pounds heavier and probably going to die from drinking. So I, uh, I quit the day drinking and the night drinking, and uh, I decided to join the cannabis business full time. As I said, I smoked since I was 12, and I was a disappointment to everyone because of that very conservative area that I grew up in. And uh, it, it took me a long time to become the Warren that I always wanted to be. This is what did it. This is what did it. We're on, I think, the 10th printing, and uh, it's a hit. What year did you first publish the Cannabis Cocktail book? Uh, 2016, it came out. So right after legalization. So were you in the middle of kind of contemplating that giving up alcohol and kind of just full, fully no, focusing no, on not cannabis? At all. No, not at all. What, what inspired me to do this was I was in New York City having dinner with my then wife, uh, now ex-wife. Um, and I wasn't ever a really big drinker, but I enjoyed, you know, a cocktail with dinner or whatever else. And I smelled, uh, some weed smoke blowing in through the front door of the restaurant that we were eating in. And I had a fat joint in my pocket of some, uh, BC bud. I was in Vancouver the week before and I stuffed a bud in my jacket and went through customs. No problem. Probably wouldn't recommend that. And I uh, I lit up my joint outside and smoked it with the people who were smoking their joint. And they said they'd never smelled anything like that or tasted anything like that. And I said, well, it's, you know, it's the real thing. It's real BC bud. And at that moment, I noticed there were a ring of people circling around us. And they turned out to be policemen and they arrested me. And I spent the next 48 hours in the caring concern of the New York City Police Department. They sent me to the tombs and then out to Rikers and a very intrigued gentleman came up to me once I got into central booking and uh, at Rikers Island for a joint. And he uh, he said, uh, what are you doing here? And I said, I just got caught smoking a joint in the street. And this was like 2014, 2013. And he said, don't worry, nothing will happen to you. Uh, everyone gets caught smoking weed, you'll you'll be out in 48 hours, which I was. But at that point, at that very moment in time, it crystallized that I needed to write a book about, uh, about cannabis that was non-confrontational. So when you smoke a cannabis joint, you smoke a joint of any kind, everyone knows your business. They can smell it a mile away. And if it's BC Bud, they can definitely smell it because as these policemen said, they'd never smelt anything like that in their life. 
And I realized that I, if I wrote a book that would that involved, you know, medical level cocktails that had cannabis in them and no one had to know your business, all the better. And that's where it started. I love the inspiration of the story and kind of how you connected those dots, because it, it is a moment where you could have taken one path and went the other. And I, I think what I really want to ask now is that you have this idea, cannabis mocktails. It, it's a very niche on niche. And cocktails and using liquor. So there was there was a crossfade, which got me, people gave me a hard time. I can imagine. And that's really where I want to take this conversation now is you've got this idea, you bring it to a publisher or you bring it to someone else for those next steps. What is that first conversation when he says, hey, I've got this great idea. And they say, Warren. <laughs> well, I've written six books for my publisher in Massachusetts, and they are pretty conservative. But I wrote them a, uh, you know, a, a letter that said, you know, what I was, you know, try, what I wanted to do. But the book that I wanted to write, and I researched it. I went down in New Orleans, which I do every, you know, I used to do every year to go to Tales of the Cocktail, and at the uh, Pharmacy Museum on Royal Street. I stopped in and I was doing a book signing for my book, Bitters and Shrub Syrup Cocktails. And at that same time, they were doing an exhibition of cannabis and the early apothecary. And I knew what book I was going to write. <laughs> and, and I got, I sent an email to my editor over at, at Fairwinds and I said, this is going to be the next big thing. And that was uh, 2015. She said, you know, they went through all the things that they do to get a book published. And they said that you had one month to write this book. 60,000 words, one month. That's, that's I did. That's yeah, I mean, that's, we see there's, yeah. <laughs> so is there pushback internally? Was there kind of any hesitation from their side? It was bad. Um, if you look at my Amazon reviews, and I really recommend that you do, there's one in particular that stands out and you'll know what I'm talking about because it's 5,000 words and it was a takedown. It was a takedown and it came out right before Christmas of 2016 and it killed my sales. And I thought my publisher was going to take it off the shelf. Because this one review. Somebody wrote a short novel reviewing they, your book? They, it was hateful and hateful. Was it cannabis? -centric? Oh, uh, you'll see. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, you'll see. Because it's so hateful and it's so demeaning and jealous. It's deeply jealous. And the person who wrote it should have known better because, well, maybe he did. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm still standing. Thankfully, thankfully. So when you first drafted it, how was there a decision that kind of was like, do I include alcohol? Do I just do cannabis cocktails? Like talk us through that, that uh, thought process. Okay. Because I'm known as the cocktail whisperer and I, you know, I'm known for my prowess building drinks that are just delicious with minimal ingredients, two or three ingredients at the most. It's the techniques that you use. I, prior to working in the corporate world, I was a trained chef. I, went to culinary school and ACF apprenticeship. I worked in France. I worked in New York, Portland, Maine, Charleston, South Carolina, Scottsdale, Arizona, you know, New York City, all sorts of places that I could make my living being a cook. And, uh, you know, I, I found that I had a talent for that. Maybe not the back for that because I hurt myself, but, uh, but I definitely had a talent for flavor. The drinks that I created, people would always say they were the best drinks that they ever had. So, Fast forward to the, to the future, I pickled myself and I was going to die. 
but I had to figure out how I could take my talent for flavor and create something that would not require me to drink. But on the other hand, when I was still drinking, and, and certainly when I wrote Cannabis Cocktails, I was still drinking until 2018. So 2018 is when I stopped drinking. Um, so the, the recipes that are in the book, many of them have alcohol in them and they're all craft spirits. I'm not using crap, I'm using the best spirits that money can buy, infusing them with massive amounts of THC. The drinks are about 250 milligrams of THC. You're not required to drink the entire drink. You can take it. You know, that that's the only way that I knew how. I mean, we didn't have the technology like a magical butter machine or a butter brewer or a, or a Levo 2. Those things didn't exist. You know, I, I learned how to be a saucier by double boiling and and you know, reductions and gas streaks and all, you know, all these culinary things that we did out in the field, you know, when you, when you cook for a living, when you put food on the table from trying to be a good cook and change those, those ideas into drinks. So I appeared on uh Viceland live and I uh, destroyed them on live TV because I made a punch that had barrel bourbon roasted blood orange juice and uh, i think it had like a lambic belgian lambic in there too for fizz and uh they just destroyed them they and i think they canceled the show like two weeks later <laughs> they'll never forget me <laughs> but it was live tv you know and they they everyone had the punch and i would say don't have more than two and the people are like slugging down five and they're 2800 milligrams of thc in the punch Sounds like a good time. <laughs> yeah, memorable, certainly. I can see the New Orleans inspiration. It seems like a hand grenade on steroids for these people. Yeah, so exactly. You know, but it but it didn't, but it had really, really fine liquors in it. So the uh barrel bourbon was like it's a it's a cask strain, you know, just the, the best quality. I think they won the gold at uh, LA Spirits. I won the gold at LA Spirits, high spirits for Klaus this year so uh you know congratulations it's stuff thank you talk to us about like layering on the flavors do you start with like an idea and a concept that comes to your mind first and then is it strain weed first or is it bourbon first like where how do the decisions layer up and how do you test it in order to feel like it's it's masking well and it's building well the first thing i do is I'm, I'm all about terpene forward and klaus my uh my beverage here is hippie crasher terps as well, and so it's an indica leaning hybrid. So that's something that's really important to me is having a cannabis drink that actually has cannabis in it that smells like cannabis that that kind of tastes like it as well. Not in the green way, but in a positive way. So when you when you smell a freshly cured bud, that's the the scent that I'm looking for built into the other spirits and the other ingredients. Um, I, I love doing simple things, simple drinks, two and three ingredients. Uh, Klaus is only three ingredients. So, I mean, how do you do that? Well, you you know, you work, know your way around the kitchen. And I worked with uh, with a guy named Chris Anderson who really understood just the the way of how, how to formulate my ideas into a beverage that's the best on the market. I, I would love to taste someone else's that's better. I don't write about beverages because I don't want to be that guy. And, uh, you know, I, I've tasted everything that's out there and I'm still looking for something that that tastes amazing. The one drink that I, that is amazing that it belongs to my business partner, it's the Apple Live Resin, it's called Malice. 
And I love malice. It's brilliant. It's like my, it's like we said, it's like your childhood in a can, except for it has weed in it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, childhood because, you know, at 12, I, you know, I'd, I was about to go to Brazil for the first time and I'd been to Africa already. And there were things that I smoked while I was, you know, that I've, that I've done that I probably shouldn't be doing at 12 years old, but I did. This is a safe space. So let's go through some of the the combinations of flavors for some of the products so people can understand because I think originally when people hear cannabis beverage, they assume one thing and I really want them to yeah. hear kind of the simpleness of their flavors. Seltzers. They assume yeah. immediately seltzers and, and seltzers are fine, but I want them with a corned beef sandwich. So I want to my seltzer to taste like something that complements food. And unfortunately, most of the products out there on the market suck. I mean, they really do. I went, I spoke twice at the Cannabis Drinks Expo in, in San Francisco and told them right out, out loud, you know, cannabis drinks suck. They really do. Because if, you, if you're a mixologist, you look at them and you say, these are industrialized drinks that have no bearing to an actual drink. And so I wanted to do, do better. And as a mixologist, as a master mixologist, I had to do better. And the technology that we receive from Vertoza is the best in the world. And I know there's other products out there, other terpenes out there, other infusers out there. And I want to work them all because, because it's fun. You know, we're doing things that no one else has ever done in a way that's simply prepared with love. That's it. I guess that's really where I want you to expand. Love, right? Okay, yeah, like, love. It's <laughs> your passion. You know, it's flavor. I, so let's talk about Klaus. I was, you know, very much influenced by the Pacific Rim. We came out with the product in California. So it was, that's right there, Pacific Rim flavors. It has a extra hot and spicy Jamaican style ginger beer syrup from Pickett's and it's, it's super stuff. I mean, it, that's, that's really your base. And then the, the lime puree comes from France, from a company called Le Verger Boiron. And, you know, up in, in France, they're, they're super conservative, so we can't put it on the label, but we, we call it our French lime puree. And the third ingredient is mirin. Mirin is vinegar. It's a rice vinegar from Japan. There are two different types of mirin. There's a sweet and there's a dry. We wanted to go to, to the dry one because we're incredibly low calorie. It's only 16 calories and 0.06 grams of sugar. It's super dry, no hardly any sugar, hardly any calories, but it's a, a blast to drink because of those terpenes that really come out. We're terpene forward. So that's really, really important to me. If you put cannabis on the label, it should actually smell like the plant, not just say that it has the plant in it. I'm a ready-to-drink cocktail. This is, it does not have alcohol in it. You're free to do that if you like. I don't recommend it because I just don't. But if you want to do it at home, I'm not going to tell you you can't. It would make an amazing ginger daiquiri. We, and I would use rum agricole if I was doing that for Martinique. Something like, uh, well, we'll leave it, leave my my favorites to another time in rum. But, but the fact is, it's a delicious base for a li whole litany of cocktails or drink it alone. I love it with Vietnamese food. I love it with Mexican food, with tacos. Squeeze fresh lime over the top of your tacos and have a sip of Klaus. Brilliant. The name of the drink, it's called a Meserol. A Meserol was named for a guy named a hip cat, Jewish guy from uh, 
not quite sure where he's from, but he lived in uh, Detroit. He lived in in Harlem, and he brought tons of of weed up from Mexico in the 30s and early 40s and sold it to the black community and uh, jazz people in particular because he fancied himself as a jazz musician. So a well-rolled cannabis cigarette was often known as a meserol because if you ask for a joint or a reefer, even though cannabis was not illegal yet, still it was frowned upon. It would pro- you'd probably get detained or arrested. So a Mesrol was named after good old Mez, who played with Sidney Bechet, and he was Louis Armstrong's weed dealer and just a good old guy. When he got arrested in Harlem, he put down Negro on the arrest warrant because he did not identify with white people at all. He identified with blacks and with jazz. And that's why we named the drink the Mesrol after good old Mez. How many iterations did it take you before you were comfortable taking that kind of mix in a can to market? One. Oh, wow. I'm impressed. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. So one iteration, does that mean you knew right away from the specifics of where you wanted to get certain ingredients? You knew you wanted it from France because you had tried it before and you knew it it would pair perfectly. Well, I'd used it. I'd used Le Bergere in my cocktail and in my cocktails for years. And they, when I would go down to New Orleans for tails, I would make the uh, the punch, you know, the the welcome punch, and I would always use Le Vergere because they sponsored me. It's the best. So you drew on inspirations from previous experiences. You knew exactly the, your favorite combination of flavors, and then the THC was just an understanding of, okay, I want to make this more THC-focused. Let's start with this and then build off that. Uh, no, the THC was I always wanted to make weed cocktails that you got destroyed on. <laughs> Nothing to do with anything else. And... Uh, if they if they tasted great and they were well prepared and the love thing, yeah, everything comes from love. And you'll you'll know that when you cook, if your if your hands are warm and they're you know reiterating the good feelings that are coming from your heart, your food is going to taste good. If you're in a bad mood, your hands are cold, and you know you're just never going to be able to even make a scrambled egg. It's just going to suck. How many of these drinks does one? How many should they drink? Uh, I would say two. I, I would say drink drink a half of it and see how you feel. Wait an hour or so, drink the other half. And then if you need more, you can always have more. You can never take it away, though. That's that's the one challenge with beverages that I've heard from people pushing back. They just weren't sure what to expect to feel. I think with, with booze, uh, they've got an understanding feeling. And that's why I ask, like, in well, your no, mind. This is, this is it's very, I would say one eight-ounce can is like two uh, two-ounce cocktails. So you might say the two cocktails is is okay. I would say two is okay, and then maybe a third. That's where the third, the second can comes in. But there's always that that lag period, and the lag period with this is only three or four minutes. So it hits three or four minutes because of the live resin. Yeah, that's not really it's much really of a lag fast. period. It's really fast, but it's not overwhelming. You know, 10 milligrams is seems like a lot, but when you consider that most of, many of the seltzers out there are pushing 100, it's not a whole lot. But it it's a nice metered experience. I, I always say it's conversational, leading to relaxation, leading to a little more conversation, leading to the best night's sleep you've ever had in your life. I love that. I love that. Put that on the on the billboard. <laughs> well, I can't say that it does anything. I can say sure. that it leads to relaxation and, and promotes promotes sleep. 
So you only had one iteration with the liquids that you're putting in there, right? Did you have how many iterations in terms of choosing a strain? Are you strain specific? Kind of talk us through that in terms of dictating the terpene profile coming from cannabis. Yeah, really great question. I, I am strain specific on the next uh, two SKUs. We're hopefully going to work with Sonoma Hills Farms. I want to work with Pink Jesus, which is a THCV. I love wow. TCV. I think it's really important. I'm, I'm in the medical program here in New Jersey for my eyes. I have glaucoma. So I'm looking for something that's low THC, high CBD, and the THCV works really nicely on my eyes. I can feel the, the pressure just dissolve. And so the drink that has the THCV is in formulation. We've actually formulated it. It's ready to go. And I want to do a, a Delta 9 version because then I could sell it all over the United States. I love it. Are there any combinations of flavors that you're you're chasing or you just haven't been able to to put together yet? Uh, I have uh, two SKUs planned. I have a zombie. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. It's, uh, <laughs> it doesn't have rum in it, but it, but it tastes like a, a classic zombie and it has, you know, 10 milligrams of THC. And I'm also looking to do another drink that was that I created myself, which kind of reminds me of the pre-prohibition time the 1920s and it has bergamot and apricot in it bergamot's a uh, citrus that's in uh, earl grey tea and apricot of course has that nice tanginess can thc beverages rival alcoholic beverages oh i hope so i hope so there's nothing worse than a drunk and there's nothing worse than a hangover and there's nothing worse than a drunk with a bad attitude and uh used to be all those things what do you think is needed in order to kind of like say shorten the gap and then get THC accelerated? I think really what's needed is uh, is more people to embrace cannabis as something that's not the big bad wolf that it's been portrayed to be. I think that's really important. You know, look at me. I'm successful. I may not be a wealthy person, but I will say I'm, I've created great success from very little. And cannabis helped me get there. So, you know, that's it in a nutshell. I mean, you, you want to know that the secret to life is doing what you love and trying to earn a living at it. And that's uh, what I've tried to do. It hasn't been incredibly successful, but I'm passionate about what I do on the planet. What do you say to, to individuals who, who kind of knock on cannabis beverages saying they don't hit them quick enough, they don't feel them? Because in my mind, I always think back to like an alcoholic beverage, you drink a beer, you don't feel it for 30 minutes. So it's yeah. like they're they're comparing it to apples to oranges almost. Well, this does. I mean, I don't know what else they're drinking. They're drinking lousy stuff. They're drinking discipline. <laughs> I, I can't help you drink better. All that I can say is there's a lot of products on the market. There's some that are that are quite excellent. I've tried I tried Fable recently. I thought that was delicious. That was like uh it reminded me of the Clear Creek Eau de Vie of Douglas Fir. It was like walking through a pine forest in bare feet, you know, and and stepping on pine needles and and smelling that that ar those aromatics. I I really like that. I'm attracted to that. But, you know, on the other hand, th there's so many out there that just absolutely suck that they're made with terrible ingredients that are just not good for you. I mean, white sugar. Who, who uses white sugar? Many. They all do. Would they be listed on the label? Is that something to look for if you're looking to? Uh, there's the yeah. There it would say what kind of sugar it has. It it would just say sugar. It wouldn't say you know like mine. I let's see. I, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to examine that because I don't use. Uh, I use cane, not corn. So let me just put my light on so I can tell you what I'm doing here. 
It says ginger, lime, and rice vinegar with THC infusion. That's it. Yeah, I think that if you add white sugar, you have to say like X grams added are like, because there's like natural sugar from like other things that are present. But if you add sugar, it's like under the label on the sugar ingredients. It typically says like quantity of sugar added. Yeah, this this says uh, total sugars less than 0.5 grams. Zero. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's really important. I think as you grow older and start taking care of the things that you eat and drink, it's really important. Really, really important to eat and drink as as best you can. I mean, it's all about him. It's all about Klaus. Love it. He's been all over the world with me. Do you think the rising trend in non-alcoholic beverages is beneficial for that consumer who's looking for a replacement for alcohol that may eventually stumble upon the THC? And and everyone's looking for a buzz of some sort. I mean, you have to be a hermit if you don't want to at least have something that gives you a little beguiling smile at the end of the day. I don't know. I mean, I, I used to have that conversation all the time when I worked in liquor. Why do we drink? Well, if you follow history, you realize that things that haven't always been so good and drinking helps make it a little bit better. So uh, having a, a well-prepared cannabis cocktail is the same sort of thing, except for you're not running outside to smoke a joint where everyone knows your business. This You can have a drink right along with everyone else and no one has to know what's in there. And if it's a, the best drink that anyone's ever had, don't you want to talk about it and share it? And hopefully they drink a little less alcohol because alcohol is poisonous. I mean, I and I worked in it for years and years and years and I'm the poster child for uh, day drinking and, you know, starting when I was a rum judge for the Ministry of Rum, you drink 50 sugarcane rums before 11 a.m. That's pretty hardcore. You know, but I, I don't see people having a, a real long lifespan. And I knew when my liver started to hurt, it was time to get out. And I listened to my body and it told me, stop. And I did. Do you have any favorite locations here in the United States that you think are underappreciated or underrecognized for their value in the cannabis industry? Absolutely. Uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, Verdes. Here you are. This is it. This is this is great stuff. They grow it inside. It tastes like it's been grown outside because they grow in natural soil. It's just so, so amazing. And it, it's humbling for me to smoke stuff that uh, everyone says that California is the best. Great. Uh, California is the best. But I also like this. They say Portland, Maine's the best. Great. Probably is. But I really like this. And, uh, you know, I've been I've been working on an article for uh, Cannabis Cactus magazine in uh, New Mexico on cannabis in New Jersey. And it just sucks. <laughs> it just sucks. I, I went out and I spent like 75 bucks for this little thing of five pre-rolls. And they look good. They smell good. They're well rolled. But what's inside just there's something lacking there's something lacking it's not that i don't get high on it it's just there's something missing and i think what's missing is the curing the curing is everything so you would you might say that when you buy cannabis that's grown at six thousand feet it's an incredibly dry atmosphere and when you bring it back down to sea level here in new jersey or, or you know 600 feet up or so there's a lot of humidity in the air. So it takes these buds, which are incredibly compact from the lack of humidity, and you introduce humidity to them. It's like having them r- right out of the curing room. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. I, I, I agree. love it. Every single big time grower and who's been in the game a long time that I ever spoke with, they all said that their ideal cultivation location would be in New Mexico, in a desert, 
where you don't have to deal with the pests. So like you're not you you don't have to like implement any pest mitigation protocols as heavily as they do in say California, which gives you a better a better product in terms of the, the bud. And so my question to you is when you decide to incorporate some sort of live resin or THC infusion into your beverage, do you visit the farm first and you see how they grow? And is there like a whole uh, process to that? I wish. I mean, I, I'm not I'm not a wealthy man, so I don't have time to really go around and get that granular. But I I have gotten samples from a whole number of Gongier connected uh, growers. And those are the, the products I want to use uh, Swami Select and I want to use Sonoma, you know, Sonoma Hill Farms. I mean, that's that's what I want to use because I have relationships with the people who, who are the growers. And it's not just about the flavors and the styles, but it's the people. And when you have a contact with someone that goes beyond just commerce, it becomes something that's very personal. And that's what I see in, in the cannabis industry. It's very emotional. It's very personal. It becomes very much a part of my own chi. Whereas alcohol, they were just drunks and mean drunks. And people get really mean when they when they don't drink. And uh, with cannabis, it's just like, well, I'm on a, uh, you know, a tolerance break. I might yeah. be a little edgy, but... Yeah, that's just what it is. Do you foresee cannabis, the future being similar to wine with certain regions being known for certain proliferations? Oh, I would love to see Appalachian in uh, in cannabis. And I think in Mendocino, they're they're really getting very granular into that as well, where the wine world with its, you know, with its different Appalachian in, uh, in California pertains to their own terroir. And uh, cannabis is very much identified with its own terroir as well when it's outside grown, of course, because the soil is different from place to place. Uh, you know, we haven't seen a whole lot of cannabis grown in Napa Valley. I think the uh, land is probably too too valuable there, and there's a lot of conservatism. But uh, you know, pushed forward into Mendocino and Sonoma, you're gonna, there's a lot more. And then going up to Humboldt, of course, that that's the world. And it's a, it's a world that uh, is unlike any other place in the United States. And I'm sure they like it that way. Agreed. And I think that uh, I actually met some cultivators who tried to grow down in closer to the wine region. And I think, unfortunately for cannabis, uh, the allowed pesticides uh, for cannabis are very, very strict. And in wine, it's not a thing at all. So you get all of this drift and environment like it's already embedded in the soil a lot of the pesticides that wine producers utilize to increase crop yields and stuff so like you plant stuff in the soil in sonoma county you're gonna come up with hot hot material that you can't sell unfortunately so yeah i i know because i i've i've heard this from individuals who manufacture edibles yeah and they got specific strains of chocolate from places in Central America that had heavy metals in the soil and they didn't know it until it came time for the testing. And, yep. you know, what do you do? And really, what do you do? So I, I understand this. Um, you know, I grew up on a biodynamic farm, so I'm very sensitive to uh, to the way I eat and the ingredients that I use and the materials that I use. I'm very conscious of that. So I think it's important to uh, to love what you eat and uh hopefully it treats you well amen what is the most expensive lesson you've learned oh <laughs> in, in what in my in my entire life or in your entire uh, life 
Uh, don't love your parents too much because they're not going to do anything for you. Mine disowned me. I mean, you know what that is, right? That's when you grow up in a family of, of multimillionaires where everything is provided for you and uh, you're told every single day that you'll never have to worry and find out that you've been disowned. That's uh, pretty rough. I'm smart. I'm tenacious. I'm potent. And I believe in myself. And I uh, may not always do a good job, but it's the best job that I know how to do. Amen. Dream smoking session, three people dead or alive. Dream smoking session. Uh, Frenchie, of course. Uh, I sat next to him at a Gangier event and learned more in the short time that I sat, sat next to him than, than I've learned in a lifetime about just life. Just a great guy. I, I've interviewed him for Forbes when uh, his obit was published in the New York Times, they uh, they linked to it. So it must have been good, relatively good. Another person who, let's see, dead or alive? <laughs> That's a really good question. Jerry Garcia. Nothing left to do but smile, smile, smile. There you go. I'd love to share a joint with him. Never had that chance, but I saw about 300 shows over over my, my time. And then... Uh, Let's see, a, a third person. It's a very good question. Probably the person who, who I smoked hash with in the Ivory Coast in Africa when I was 12 years old. Yeah, I don't remember what his name was, but he handed me a uh, a cigarette that had tobacco in it and, uh, and hashish. And I got so high. I've never been so high. My whole jaw was numb. Maybe it was the tobacco. I didn't smoke cigarettes or anything. But uh, but it was a memory that I'll always remember because it was something so totally forbidden. But yet, here I was again. When you got Could started, Jeffries. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> when you got started in the cannabis industry, what did you get right? Most importantly, what did you get wrong? Uh, I got right by creating something that no one else had ever done. What I got wrong was trusting people too much. But I can't. I got out of it okay, and I and I'm still in it. I mean, this is this is a, a work in progress, and it's been challenging because there's so many companies out there that are doing beverages that you know they talk about success in pallets. I talk about success in four packs. I would. I wish that my uh, my pallets, uh, my four packs, would turn into pallets, but they will. I believe in myself. If you could get a message on a billboard to billions of people. To be an image, a photo, a quote, what comes to mind? I'm listening to my cats hissing next to me. Um, what I would put on a billboard is, let's see, good ingredients, simply prepared with love. That's it. Beautiful. That's my love mantra. It. Love it. All right. Prediction time. Warren, okay. as a master mixologist, how do you predict the flavor profiles and preferences of consumers will evolve over the next five years? I hope that they get simpler with better quality ingredients. You don't need to have 50 ingredients in a drink to have it be delicious. As I've learned that simplicity is the key and it's the techniques that you use to, to make those ingredients. It's not just orange juice. It's splitting the oranges and roasting them in the oven until they caramelize, letting them cool and then juice. That's the kind of thing I do. That's what sets me apart from the, from the pack. I, I do everything that everyone else does. It's just what I do to it is different. Um, 
I, you know, I'd, I'd really like to see terpenes in in more consumer products. I mean, do you ever use Lemon Pledge to uh, polish your wood? That has limone in it, which is the terpene for, uh, you know, the lemon terpene. And you start feeling like you want to clean everything in the house. That's what that does. It makes you feel charged and and wanting to get things done. And so when I smell that in uh, in sativa strains of cannabis, it makes me feel like I want to clean the entire house. That's typical. So that that would be something that I'd like to see. I'd like to see more terpenes in uh, more consumer, to, uh, you know, consumer products. Love it, Kellen. I'm gonna have to agree with Warren, and I think that you're gonna see. And I said this at, on uh, one of our previous episodes, right? Like you have a lot of these beverages that went from idea to industrialization, and you look at like other beverages that are mainstays, like Coca Cola, right? Coca Cola was founded hundred plus years ago in a garage, and it took them forever to get to the scale they're at now. And they learned a lot along the way. So I think that you're going to see a lot of these companies that went straight from concept to industrial manufacturing kind of fall off the wayside because exactly what Warren was saying, the ingredients aren't, aren't high quality. And, you know, there's only so much crappy drinks that people can, can buy and endure before they're like, Hey, I want to enjoy something good. So I do think that in the next five years, you're going to kind of see the cream rise to the top, if you will. And the companies that are doing it the right way, they're going to start to expand their market share and grow. Um, what do you think, though, Brian? I am really fascinated with the concept that Warren shared about the simplicity, just having the three ingredients. I can't tell you how many times I've looked at a label and it's like 900 things. And it's wondering myself, it's like, why are all these things necessary? And just looking at the label and seeing the three ingredients just made me feel more comfortable and more trusting about it just it just feels I don't know why I, I think it just there's more comforting and knowing that you're does not just like shoving 900 things inside and trying to mask different flavors and concepts in order to get by. And I really love that approach. And I, I think that is kind of layered on top of the, the love aspect that you can definitely feel from Warren's perspective on the way he communicates about the specific nature of the ingredients that he's grabbed in order to combine into the product. And I think it shows and I, I, I hope that the consumer um, puts away maybe their distrust for THC beverages just for a little bit in order to try products like yours, Warren, because I think they will open people's eyes and let them see that there is a world beyond alcohol and the world beyond smoking, if you're not interested in smoking, to kind of get that edge off. So this is the drink that uh, was in cannabis cocktails, mocktails, and tonics that influenced me directly to make the uh, the Mesrol. It's a uh, it's a take on a tea ponche. The tea ponche is a, a drink from Martinique that you would drink with lime, rum, and sugar, cane sugar. Uh, so this drink, I look at this and I said, this is Klaus. This you know, and it's in my book. And I did this in, I wrote it in 2015. It was published in 2016. So I had the idea all the way back then, and this is the what it became. So, you know, there are there are dreams that, that come true in Amen. life. There are dreams. We just have to work a little harder to make that happen. I love it. And we should leave it at that. So, Warren, for our listeners, they want to get in touch. They want to read your books and they want to try Klaus. Where can they find you? They should probably go to cocktailwhisperer.com. So you get kind of get the overview of, of me from the very beginning, from when I first started writing about liquor and spirits in 2010. and right to today so if you're patient and you want to really see uh you know 
delve into me. I've written, written for the Oxford Encyclopedia and things like that, but you know, it's all in there. Uh, another place would be uh, drinkklaus.com with two Ks, D-R-I-N-K-K-L-A-U-S. If you're in San Francisco or Los Angeles, you can order Klaus for delivery tomorrow. To order today, you'll have it tomorrow at your house in San Francisco or Los Angeles. Um, another way is you can look at my Instagram, which isn't overly political. It's Warren Bobro, W A R R E N B O B R O W. And uh, that's a pretty good uh, overview of who I am. I'm on Facebook, I'm on LinkedIn. LinkedIn's a good place to be. That's it. Awesome. We'll link it all in the show notes. Thanks for taking time. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Guys, if you've enjoyed this podcast over the last few years, can you please take three minutes or less and leave us a quick review on Apple or Spotify? All reviews make a massive difference for us and help other people like you find this podcast. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast, The Talking Hedge, and newest member on Podcon X. So come on over and check out The Talking Hedge. We talk about business news, interviews, investments, events, all that stuff. So come nerd out with me over at The Talking Hedge. You can find me at thetalkinghedgepodcast.com or on all your favorite podcast platforms. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe, or don't, and I'm out.